This 10 Talks podcast is a production of the 10 Words Project from WUOT-FM and the University of Tennessee College of Social Work. Series is series is series is. I think it's series is is. Like Gollum. Yeah. Series is precious. <laughs> it's our first episode. You already went to Gollum. I can't believe it. <laughs> so, hello and welcome to Ten Talks. I'm your host Brittany Crocker, and I'm here with Matt Schaefer Powell, hello. the news the news director for WUOT in Knoxville. <laughs> you don't know us yet, but you may have heard of 10 words, and that's 10 with two N's because this is Rocky Top, after all. And we're clever. We're and clever people. T-E-N-N. Witty, you say 10 words, T-E-N-N. Yes. And 10 words is a new crowdsourcing initiative that Matt and I have been taking around Knoxville for WUOT for the past few months now to just talk to our listeners and people around Knoxville and find out about what's important to you. Yeah, this is the way it works. We have this this mobile wall, and we take this wall to different venues around East Tennessee. We uh, take we've taken it to festivals, to a bar one night. We've uh, <laughs> we, we we took it to the Knox County Library one day. We've taken it to all these different places. And what we do is we have these multicolored sheets of paper, and at the top of each sheet sheet of paper, it says what keeps you up at night. And we're asking people to take a sharpie. And we provide the Sharpie and the paper and everything and fill out in 10 words or less what keeps them up at night. So we want to know, you know, what kind of weighs on your mind. What do, what are the things that, that, that you know, concern you? Um, and, you know, we've gotten a, a variety of responses from very serious uh, ones. Uh, one person talked about all the, um, the children he killed in war and the regrets that he has. Uh, we've all had some funny ones. We've had some cute ones. We've had some bizarre ones. And what we're doing is we're taking all of these, we're combing through the results, uh, we're loading every single response into a, a database, and then we're categorizing the responses, and we're looking for interesting outliers, interesting stories to tell, and uh, interesting trends, and that sort of thing. So that's what 10 Words is essentially all about. And that question of the quarter that, what keeps you up at night, has actually inspired the theme for your first 10 talk series, and that's bedtime stories. So in 10... Bedtime stories with, with Brittany Crocker. Hair flip. <laughs> <laughs> nice hair flip. I'm going to flip you. my hair, too. It didn't really work for no, you. No, I know. My hair's too short, but, you know. <laughs> but it, basically, in 10 episodes, that's both T-E-N and T-E-N-N implied. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna cover we're gonna cover a lot of neat things inspired by you, our listeners, and the people around you in Knoxville. And really just tell people's stories through subject matter experts, through people currently navigating these different kinds of journeys in life, all in a compact little bedtime story package. Yeah, we'll be exploring some of the themes, exploring some of the things that we've heard uh, from you when you fill out these forms. Um, for instance, um, let me we've just, got some forms. Here yeah, I've us. got some forms right here. In fact, I've been sorting through them while we've been talking and uh, looking for some of the that kind of jump out. By the way, we have more than 450 responses so far. Yes, and, I uh, just we, checked the spreadsheet. We have 449, so 449. not more than 450, okay. so but close. getting up there. Close. If I write one right now, we <laughs> might have one more. We'll be right at 450. The dog trying to eat the tortoise. tortoise. You, because you have both a dog and a tortoise, and that keeps you up at night. 
And you'll hear more about my tortoise later. Yeah. Um, but just to give you an idea of some of the responses that we've had, um, here's one, uh, not disappointing other people. It's from a 35-year-old woman in Knoxville. She filled this out when we were at Sutri's High Gravity Tavern. Uh, sometimes I know there were a couple that just said the word fear. And I thought that was interesting. Um, we ask on the forum, be as specific as possible. But sometimes there's a little bit of uh, poetry to being unspecific about Yeah, it. I think that a lot of people don't always know what is on their mind that's making them anxious at night. And I think that's well summed up in just that one word. At night, a lot of times people will just get lost in their thoughts and become very introspective about the day. You'll see mm -hmm. instances of people grading themselves. Was I a good person today? A lot of those. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's a good good way to put it, too. Grading themselves. Uh, yeah. Was I a good person today? One that jumped out to me was, do I make my boyfriend miserable? Mm -hmm. um, uh, fear of losing loved ones. A lot of ones uh, that sort of address fear of, of a lot of different things from... Um, things that are real, like spiders and rats, to uh, something like that that's a little more speculative, fear of losing. That's one of my biggest fears, that, and then right under it, giant squid are like probably my two biggest fears. But the one that would haunt me at night is definitely the first one, because I don't live on water. But. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> How about fear of living on water? Um, fear of sleep paralysis happening. Somebody put that, 21-year-old female from Oak Ridge. Uh, put that when we were out at the Oak Ridge Secret City Festival. Yeah, that's been a hot topic lately. And sleep paralysis, as defined by Wikipedia, is... Whom we love. Whom <laughs> we love dearly. is a phenomenon in which a person, either falling asleep or awakening, temporarily experiences an ability to inability to move, speak, or react. It's a transitional state between wakefulness and sleep, characterized by complete muscle weakness. Well, it said musclatonia, hmm. but that means weakness. I, I had never heard of that before uh, she filled this form out. Yeah, and the yeah. image on here is terrifying. It's um, this painting that you should really look up. It's called The Nightmare by Henry Fuseli. I hope oh, I'm pronouncing that right, because if not, I will hear about yeah, it. Yeah, right. <laughs> this is NPR. Um, and it's thought to be one of the classic depictions of sleep paralysis perceived as a demonic visitation. Ooh. So it sounds like across the world, people have different explanations for this transitional state. One of the things that um, is interesting to me about fear in the middle of the night also is that so often... I will be terrified of something or really concerned about something. And then as soon as the sun comes up, I think, really? I lost sleep over that? Mm -hmm. One of them was a fear of not, uh, what was it? Not, it was a 12-year-old girl who said fear of not um, letting. Getting to say goodbye. Getting to say goodbye. To my family before I die. Yeah. And she was 12 years old. 12 years old thinking about something like that. Yeah. So, um now, we had uh, a couple other ones here, and I, like I said, I've got this whole big stack here. Okay, we have spiders, rat, and the honeybees. The honeybees, let me, let me address that one first. That's a 39-year-old male from Knoxville, and his concern is not just honeybees, not being stung by honey, but the, dis the disappearance of the honeybees, the sort yeah. of the mystery surrounding it's been that. gardening really difficult lately, and a lot of people have been talking about it as hives start to migrate and stuff, and there's been a lot of social media pushes as well to get people not to call exterminators when half a hive of bees ends up 
just chilling out on their car or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if there's well, or if you can bring an exterminator who doesn't exterminate them, but just kind of moves them somewhere. Yeah, I they don't call really beekeepers instead. Yeah, is what right. <laughs> okay, call a beekeeper. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, call a beekeeper. Um, but yeah, the, the the mystery regarding what that what that means. From the big for the bigger picture, is it, mm -hmm. it does it have to do with climate change? Does it have to do with any number of environmental factors that could eventually uh, be of greater concern to us? Yeah, so, not just yeah. in crop development in the future, but the idea that another species might be going extinct, mm -hmm. and it's one that just years ago was extremely common. Uh, spiders and rat. Uh, these are these are actually kind of <laughs> cute, and if you go to our Instagram, you can see. Like I said, we take photos of each one of these. Um, these responses and post them on our Instagram account. And these are cute because you can tell they're written by little kids. They're both seven-year-old girls. Mm -hmm. uh, one was from, uh, this spiders was from, I believe, the Biscuit Festival. And a rat was from the Kumba Festival. Yeah, right. I actually thought she meant her pet rat because of the way she wrote it. And I was like, do you have a pet rat? And she shuddered and said, no. I'm terrified of rats. I think she just said scared, but the impression was she was yeah. terrified. Um, <laughs> and so we had a conversation about that. And then she also wrote one for her grandmother, who, when I asked her what kept her up at night, and hers was a sore leg. And in the same manner, without articles or modifiers or anything, <laughs> the seven-year-old girl writes, leg, leg. <laughs> <laughs> and puts it on the wall <laughs> I mean, on the one hand it's it's you know you you feel bad for the grandmother and and you know for the granddaughter too to a certain extent um but it's adorable yeah i mean, I mean we hung out she really helped me get respondents people would just come up to the booth and she before i could even tell them what 10 words is about she just like pick a color <laughs> and that's how i need to start doing it <laughs> yeah pick a color so um we've had several uh, people concerned about their student loan debt. That one <clears throat> several. came up so much. Yeah, that one came up several as, times. About as much as retirement, actually. Um, let's see. This is a 30-year-old female, six figures. She has six figures of student loan debt. Wow. Um, and then a, a couple other people uh, also put student loan debt. And there seems to be sort of um, in that... Age group, I mean, uh, this doesn't seem like rocket science, but a lot of folks graduating with a lot of debt and really stressing out about how in the world they're going to pay that debt back. Uh, we have from a 28-year-old female finding a job, another t student loan debt from a 24-year-old female. Um, just with the economy having uh, just gone through a major recession, uh, there's a lot of anxiety still among people who have been paying a lot of money for college and wondering how in the world they're gonna, they're gonna make it. And that was one of the top two finance issues we saw. But what we, what we did see when we went back and looked at our spreadsheets, we asked people's age and we asked just kind of where they're from on the back of the, the forms they fill out. And on all the ones that we tagged for finance, um, it was very distinct polarization between People below middle age, like early 20s to early 30s, talking about student loan debt. And people who were a little bit past middle age talking about saving for retirement. And so these are, I mean, it's, again, not rocket science, but these are the two largest finance issues that people are concerned about right now. How am I going to save for retirement? How am I going to pay off my loan? So in a sense, that buck just does not stop. 
a lot of people have just given uh, given us just money. They're worried about money, mm-hmm. um, and that's that, that's not surprising. But it's also kind of interesting how that answer is shaped by age. Mm-hmm. The folks who have graduated from college and have huge debts, that's when they're worried about money, they're worried about how are they going to pay off this debt. As they get older, they're starting to look beyond their working years and going, how am I going to, how am I going to live a decent life when my working days are done? Yeah. And for someone like that one respondent who said they had six figures of student loan debt, there might even be some overlap there. Like with the amount of debt that people are incurring just going to school nowadays, you you see a lot of people that are looking into beginning their Roth IRAs and their other uh, retirement accounts. At the same time, they're still paying off the last of their student loans. Mm-hmm. And that that's becoming a concerning problem that people have to sacrifice so much to get an education, to get the job that they used to save for what what they're going to do later in life. So that's just an example of a couple of the responses that we've gotten out of the almost 450 responses. And um, we're Again, taking all those responses and kind of bringing form to them, no pun intended, um, and then uh, that'll help with this uh, series of podcasts. Yeah, we're going to, as we mentioned before with student debt and retirement, we're going to have a show on that in which um, we're going to have a financial analyst who just finished paying off or is in the process of finishing paying off his student loans come in and talk about student debt. Um, and I'm also going to talk to my mom. about retirement because when we were at Satri's and she filled out a 10 words form she said worrying that I'm going to have enough money to travel when I retire and basically retire the way that she wants to and just as a daughter as someone who's gotten financial support from my parents in the past that was just like like it really hit me so I think it'll be really interesting just for that interaction we have one called the joy of work which is a bit facetious, but it's about um, taking your work to bed with you and work-related anxiety. That's and, uh, that's something I'm I'm definitely <laughs> guilty of that. I think we all are. I think that one was one that just kept coming up. We have another show called Sleeping Hot. Um, <laughs> and, that's supposed <laughs> to be a saxophone. Hot flashes, hot bodies, and hot nights. That was a terrible saxophone. But before <laughs> you get too thank excited. Thank you very much. Um, you should probably actually get more excited because hot flashes, hot bodies, and hot nights pertains to menopause, co-sleeping in the family bed, and even homelessness in the summer. Um, and just all of these things that have to do with how we sleep based on our body temperatures. <laughs> <laughs> we have a show called Things That Go Bump in the Night, looking at some of those fears that only seem to creep up in the middle of the night, like we were talking about earlier, just that deep introspection and why that occurs at yeah. night of all times once you've wound down and just need to sleep. We have another one. Actually, the next episode is called You Sleep When They Sleep, and it's about caretakers. Um, and we're going to look at the journey of one young man in Knoxville who has been taking care of both his late grandmother, was taking care of her, and a brother with special needs. And then we're also going to speak to Priscilla Blanton, a local scholar who researches family caregiving to elderly people and how that kind of fits in with the family paradigm. And 
Along with that, one of the things that Knoxville really boasts is the birthing center here, the Lisa Ross Birthing Center. And at the Kumba Festival, we had a couple people from Memphis come up to the booth. And what was the form? That yeah, I'm, I'm looking for the form right now. It said something about <coughs> crowning. Uh, <laughs> and he just had this wide-eyed, terrified look on his face when was he his, said crowning. Was his, it was his partner with him? Yes. Which, which, and was she pregnant? Yes. She was. Was she quite pregnant? I mean, Not quite pregnant. I said that they would have, well, basically, they were asking about natural alternatives for childbirth or if that's only for rich people yeah here's here's his form and he's a 36 year old man crowning do we have natural childbirth alternatives or is that only for the rich and then we got in a discussion about the natural birthing center here that's right up alongside the hospital which is actually a, a huge huge step forward for for childbirth alternatives basically a lot of natural births will take place at home or at a midwife or doula's place and to have one so close to a hospital in case of an emergency is a really interesting thing. And they actually got in this discussion of, should we have the baby in Knoxville? Should we do it here instead of in Memphis? So I was like, I don't know if I should be here for this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we've had, we mentioned we've had some, um, some funny ones, some sad ones, some interesting ones, some bizarre ones. Uh, you don't happen to have the one about there was one about lucid dreaming. Yeah, that's that I actually going to be yeah. our topic later. This sheet says, don't blow your mind with the lucid dreams. And he drew a really interesting <laughs> mushroom cloud on it that looks like it has a face. <laughs> but basically, this is one of the responses we've gotten. Um, we'll get a couple of them every other event or so. Just regard, not really this creative with, you know, the illustration and everything. You know, when I saw this, I don't, I don't know what lucid dreaming is. Um, I mean, I've heard the term before. I've heard people refer to it, but uh, yeah. I, I so when it starts coming up several times throughout the course of this project, I'm like, huh? Okay. Yeah. It was one of those outliers that we couldn't really ignore, and it's both yeah. interesting and kind of whimsical. So we thought it'd be a great way to kick off this first show. So we're gonna break here in a minute, but after the break, we'll all hear from Jen Parker a local brewery owner and musician who's going to talk about some of her experiences with lucid dreaming. try to avoid crazy of the dreams. I just practical. Okay. Welcome back to 10 Talks. We're here with Jen Parker, a local brewery owner and musician to talk about lucid dreaming. Jen, I think there's a lot of different ideas about what lucid dreaming is, just from the way movies make it seem and just some of our own conceptions about what it might be. Um, but what is lucid dreaming in your experience? <laughs> well, it's definitely not Inception. Uh, lucid dreaming is that a reference to the movie? <laughs> to the movie, which yes. I couldn't follow, by the way. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> lots of people I think really want to imagine that lucid dreaming—you're going to suddenly have complete control over your reality, and it's going to be like this current reality we're in. And that's not really the case at all. Dreams are 
extremely volatile and emotional. Most of what we're experiencing in a dream is really just a manifestation of images created by our emotions. And, you know, since our emotions are so fickle, so is the dream world. And you can't really exert a whole lot of will into it. But through lucid techniques, you can do a fair bit. And I've managed over the years to kind of perfect some skills. Uh, when I first started, it wasn't to that point. But Let's yeah. back up just for a second because I, I don't even know what skills. lucid dreaming is. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I know the term. Well, the way I understand lucid dreaming is, mm -hmm. is basically um, being aware in, in some capacity, some way that you are dreaming in a dream. So you're dreaming and you know, hey, this is a, it's a, yeah, it's a like a dream within a dream. Kind yeah, of you, you kind of become conscious of being in a dream. And uh, some people have it in, in different stages. Like when I was a teenager, that's when I first started kind of doing lucid dreaming. Um, it would mostly be through a lot of people. This happens through night terrors or, um, you know, stress dreams because there are a lot of patterns that are very familiar in that. You know, the same thing is chasing you down the same steps. And, oh, it's at the bottom of the steps. How did that happen? Um, <laughs> after... Doing this for a while with stress dreams and nightmares, I started to kind of take control a bit of the dreams because I began to realize that this is about to happen again. Like, oh, I'm running down the stairs after he's right behind me. Up, oh, and now he's at the bottom of the stairs waiting for me. Like, recognizing that this is going to happen because it's happened before kind of helped trigger the beginning parts of lucidity where all of a sudden I was like, well, I can do something about this. For example, I'm using the version of a chase dream, which sure, is a very right, common right. one. And that started kind of my lucid experience but did you know did you know that you could actually do that I mean did you <laughs> did you know had you read something about it or did you just start doing it in your dream and then went hey that's pretty cool <laughs> well the thing is is I wasn't a completely conscious of being in the dream at that state I was aware enough to know I could change the reality but I wouldn't say at that point in lucid dreaming I was like I am in a dream this is a complete fabrication this is not real I can do what I want. That hadn't hit me yet. But that's usually where people start out lucid dreaming. At least that's been my experience. That's so interesting. Um, you had mentioned techniques and skills earlier, and that like immediately caught my attention. That's why I blurted it out. <laughs> but um, that makes it sound like it's a bit of a process to get to this point. Like, what does that look like? Well, it, it was a process. Um, once I sort of just kind of got the feelings from the night terrors and kind of just, just knowing how to manipulate it a little bit, I would follow it a bit further. Um, and I actually would become fully conscious and aware of being in a dream. And when that happens, that's what I call like the second or the third stage, when you are actually aware, you can start to consciously interact. You're not just operating sort of on just your emotions alone, which is where usually the first stage is. You can, oh, you can float over the guy's head, but you're not consciously aware that you're doing this out of a deliberate decision. But when you get into the second or the third stage, now you're aware. And now you can make complete and total decisions. You can do all sorts of fun things. And I, that's when I start using techniques because I'm aware I'm in a dream. And so I'll actually start to do certain <laughs> things to test my reality and see what I can do. Um, and this is where it gets a little weird. <laughs> weird is good. Weird is good. Like. Usually, I think the first things I started to do when I was lucid, and for the record, if you are, you find yourself in a conscious state, this is a big advice I would give you, don't start running around spazzing out. You want to stay absolutely still because the dreamscape is, as I said, very volatile, and um, you want to stay where you're at because you want to be able to manipulate the scene. I usually find a wall 
or an object and I start putting my hand through it because that's my way of sort of testing, okay, the reality, okay, putting my hand through. It feels weird. It's like a buzzing sensation. I, I equate it to like a toothache, but in your mm. body, I don't know what to call it. So I like put my hand through the wall, take it out, put it back in again, take it out. And because, you know, it's a dream. You can do these things. Go to a mirror. You can make your hair longer, make your hair shorter, stretch your face out, put it back together again. That just blows my mind. <laughs> yeah. just, I mean, Completely. I, I, I feel like I've been totally missing out on this opportunity for years. I mean, I when I have a nightmare and somebody's chasing me, the it best I can do happen. is wake You're up. So... Yeah. Dang. <laughs> well, you so mean much I can do something one. about this? <laughs> <laughs> well, a lot of that comes down to just learning willpower and and you can learn to control your dreams there are techniques people use to get to that point you know just recalling your dreams helps lots of people don't bother to even remember their dreams and so if you don't even remember your dreams that's going to be very hard then to control them um and if you do keep a dream journal which is lots of people suggest there are other things you can do uh you can for example leave a light on in your bedroom that helps me a lot because it kind of keeps you a little more alert. Like you fall asleep, but you don't go deeply into sleep. So it's bad for your dream, like your sleep schedule, actually. But if you do keep a little bit of that surface going, it makes it easier to go lucid. So are, are you concerned at all? I mean, is it scary at all? Because when you're awake, you sort of have this tether to reality. But when you're dreaming, you have a sort of thinner or longer tether reality i mean other in other words do you trust yourself oh yeah definitely actually what's great about lucid dreaming is it teaches you i would say some really awesome things about who you are and like how to remain calm and so i find myself emotionally calming myself down and trying to keep this inner peace and if i'm lucid and i'm being approached by something bad or malicious being conscious is great because I usually can actually find out what that is on a literal level rather than a metaphorical one. Oh, this is just a childhood memory that I've been holding on to. And it's actually helped me psychologically come to terms with many things in my present day. It's made me a lot uh, calmer, a lot more emotionally aware of myself. So no, quite. I would say that dreaming has been fantastic and um, being aware of them. Maybe. Very therapeutic. Yes, that's the word. Very yeah. therapeutic. Is there? Do you have an example of maybe one of these lucid dreams that was particularly vivid to you that you wouldn't <laughs> mind sharing with us? That is the hard part because when you talk about a dream, usually people are kind of going to get a little bored or a little spacey because dreams are personal <laughs> and usually crazy. Like you were telling me about your turtle earlier, you know, the I was. teleportation. I, had a, I have a pet tortoise <laughs> who's actually an illegal immigrant because you can't have um, tortoises as pets So we're not going to Tennessee. give his name. Nope, can't give his name. He'll get deported back to Missouri. But um, <laughs> I had a dream that he could teleport, and it was really weird. <laughs> maybe he was lucid dreaming. <laughs> he could have been, and maybe that SpongeBob thing where he just kind of walked into my dream and was like, "This is mine now." <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you're talking about you know people how dreams are personal. We have in my family, especially when my kids were little, we imposed a 60 second rule on any dream they want to <laughs> right? talk about. Because like you right? have 60 seconds. I know it sounds sounds I mean, but it's so interesting they are interesting but very much to you because dreams again they're so emotional and i you know you can't really explain the vivid amazing sensation of having a dream about you know for whatever reason being hoodwinked into doing a bake sale with you know hitler and the nazis or something something weird like you know (laughs) i'll be happy to tell you i guess a little bit of like a lucid experience and how it kind of 
All right. Well, I've gotten to the point now when I do go lucid, I typically can reach higher consciousness of it. Um, I can, I've walked into establishments and buildings and I've sat down and just talked to people over whether they're real or not. That's become a really fun <laughs> activity with me. I actually just did that last night with this girl. We were, we were really like into it. Like, she's like, I'm real. No, I'm real. Listen, I know you're a dream. She's like, I don't think so. And we were coming up with all these different theories as to <laughs> whether she wow. was real or not. Uh, see, that's a little weird. <laughs> it, it's weird, but it's, I mean, I, I I feel a, a little jealous, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, my dreams seem so dull now. Oh, well, it's not as if, I think most lucid dreamers will say this, it's not as if we do this every night, or even if it's some conscious thing we do, I'll maybe do this once every month or two. Can anybody do it? Uh, I. Or do you have to be kind of wired a certain way? Well, I, I would definitely say there are some people who just simply cannot... Um, there are people who just simply don't recall their dreams. And you know what? I think that's awesome because there are some negativisms to me being so invested in my dreams because I don't sleep as well. Mm -hmm. um, I was yeah. just going to ask if sometimes when you had lucid dreams, if you woke up more rested or less rested. I usually feel less rested, actually, <laughs> especially if I if it's a really, really vivid one. Is there and, an element of stress there, you think? Um, I say it's worth it. But, yeah, there can be because it after you go through such a kind of intense surreal surrealistic ordeal it can be a bit hard than going into your natural routine in the day there's a little there, there definitely could be some escapism associated with it it almost seems like an interactive video game or something you know like it, it, you're, you're in a video game and you can uh you can relate you can communicate with some of the characters that aren't real mm -hmm. but you can still manipulate them and yeah, yeah, Talk that's home. well. That's always the funny thing about being lucid because I don't really believe these people are from a different dimension or whatever. Although when I'm asleep, they make great cases for it. The thing is, is the the fact that my subconscious can create these kinds of elaborate. I mean, I've had arguments with a woman, and she's like, "Oh no, no, no! I'm real. I'm from New York. I have two Labradors, and I'm in a dental assistant." And I'm that's like, "Oh, so funny," because <laughs> there's really theories about. I've seen theories that people say that. Um, and they're mostly just things going across Tumblr, but that all the faces you see in your dreams are faces you've seen like in real life before. So it, it might not even be a conjuring. It could be you just like saw someone in passing at the supermarket. And I'm not a sleep scientist or any kind of neuroscientist, but that's a really interesting concept. I think it's interesting. Usually in dreams, you don't remember things like that, though. You don't really remember the faces or any of the physical details of a person, because these are just, you know, impressions that you're getting. Um, and that's one thing I also like about dreams, but I don't really ever remember faces per se. Do you talk to other people who, who lucid dream? I've talked I mean, to a few. Um, are they few and far between? Or uh, Most people I don't think have taken it to the crazy extent I have. <laughs> But there are plenty of people I've talked to of like, oh, yeah, this one time I totally lucid dreamed. I realized I was dreaming and I flew around for a while or I stuffed my face full of Oreos and it was great. Um, That'd be the best way to do it because you wouldn't actually gain the weight associated oh. with the Oreos. So one you could experience the Oreos and no, <laughs> no consequences. Yeah, oh, you've no, no idea. One time I was lucid dreaming and I literally spent the whole time just eating Reese's. It was great. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I got to get into this. <laughs> that sounds like this such. This works for me. <laughs> 
bucket list. Learn to lucid dream. So I can eat Reese's. All of them. <laughs> All of the Reese's. <laughs> On the planet. Um, earlier you'd mentioned just kind of that process of coming back from your lucid dream when you wake up and then stepping back into reality. What is your relationship between, like, your lucid dream world and reality? Um, is it hard to sometimes separate those dreams from reality? Sometimes, actually, yeah. But again, I, I, I really push the edges, I think, more than I should. Um, my, my partner, Aaron, sometimes doesn't approve because, he's, he, he, yeah, I, I will mix the two up on occasion. When I was really doing I did it more when I was in my early 20s. And I actually stopped for a while because I, I was, yeah, I was blending the two realities too much together. And that was when I was really into some heavy dream manipulating stuff. Um, mm. And I'm not going to go into out of body or any of those things because then we're really going to get into spiritual hippy dippy stuff. And <laughs> I don't know if I'm ready to share those things because, again, <laughs> I don't really have a concrete idea of what I was experiencing at that time. But it got so bad as far as blending the two and also I would experience, and I don't think I would talk about this, I call it soul sickness. Um, if I get into a lucid trance state and then somebody wakes me up suddenly, I feel like, you know, that feeling you get after a really long cry. Oh, like cry grains. It's like cry nature's grain. insult to injury. It's a crying <laughs> migraine. Cry grain. I haven't heard I of that either. I get cry grains <laughs> all the so time. Learning so many things. Well, not all the time. I don't cry all the time. <laughs> but every time I cry, I always end up with a cry grain afterwards. Yeah, the crying kinda, migraine. It, yeah, it's like you kind of feel drained and, and just like kind of heavy. And, and and actually, that's what I, I call it if I get woken up to suddenly from a lucid trance. And so that stinks. I, I call it soul sick. I hate it. I hate that feeling do do some of those um those dreams you have like in the the lucid dream state does working through them ever kind of influence your decisions in reality oh yeah definitely because all dreams are just manifestations of of emotions and and feelings you have in reality like you know the grieving over losing a loved one or you know the conflict you maybe had with a sibling or something like, those are what create our dreams. And then when you have a lucid experience, you can sometimes have huge epiphanies about it. Did you have someone that you were speaking to, like, when you first started lucid dreaming that kind of helped you navigate this process as far as, like, a new consciousness and some of the more psychological things you were talking about? Not really. I mean, I read books. There was a book I read by, I'm probably going to pronounce his name wrong, Paulo Calijo. He wrote this book called Veronica Decides to Die. And um, in it, this woman, she gets electric shock therapy and she goes into a lucid state and she's able to like connect with all these minds. And it's definitely like a spiritual interpretation of it. But it was like the first time I'd really ever read about someone doing something like what I was doing. And, you know, I did Google it and I went online and I definitely read up a little bit on what was going on. So, but nobody told me. This is this is all just my own personal experiences in my own territory. Nobody told me that I could have psychological breakthroughs. You just kind of, as you get to know your dreams, you just kind of naturally go there and get to know yourself. It sounds like oh, very much so. I've learned a lot about myself. What advice would you give someone if you were in the situation of a person like guiding someone through this state? I guess. Um, if they were either just starting to lucid dream or they wanted to start learning to lucid dream, like what were the um, some of the things that just kind of helped you do it? I know when we were when we met earlier, you were talking about something with your hands. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> yeah, no, lots of people mention looking at your hands before you go to sleep, really concentrating, examining them because hands are extremely um, weird in dreams. They you'll get an extra finger. They'll kind of just look different. They'll look off. So they're usually a good trigger. And lots of it just comes down to knowing your dream patterns. Like for me, whenever I'm going upstairs, I can usually figure out I'm lucid because climbing upstairs in a dream feels different because first off there are no stairs and like it's dreams it gets really fuzzy when it comes to like steps like they don't like have the same like, they don't have that, that sort of concrete quality I yeah don't mean, i don't mean concrete the stuff you pour i mean yeah, yeah. a real hard surface yeah exactly and 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 they're not even and it just it the feeling is what you're gonna have to concentrate on because like i keep mentioning dreams are just feelings um uh, and the feeling I get when I go lucid or about is like a aha feeling like after you when that moment you just figure out what the riddle is like uh, you have the answer and you go, aha that's the feeling you feel when you realize something's off in your dream and if you follow that aha feeling which I know is weird but it's really hard to describe it because it's all feeling you can usually go lucid or you can start to be aware of going lucid but are you ever hesitant or like afraid to go lucid when you get that aha Feeling. Oh, no, which no, because it's so fun. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm like, oh, where's the where's the where's the candy shop? Where's ooh, it's a buffet. Let's go there. Or, oh, yeah, that's where I'd be. <laughs> uh, you, you, know, don't, you don't need traditional forms of entertainment, do you? You don't need TV or video games or anything. Yeah, just go take a nap. Take a nap and go hang out with, you know, some of my favorite celebrities. Uh, it's not that it's not that controlled, though. I can't control when I'm going to go lucid. It's entirely up to just circumstances and if brain you could patterns. just ordain a wedding between me and Colin Farrell in your next dream <laughs> and just tell me how it went. Like, it's kind of my dream right now. <laughs> not my lucid dream. I'm not at That's any of those stages yet, but a dream. <laughs> I will try. I will try so hard. <laughs> um, I will say a good thing to do if you do want a lucid dream is um, pay attention to reality. That it's amazing how many people don't get that. If you if you don't pay attention to your own reality, how do you expect to pay attention to your dreams? I mean, they're just reflections of your reality. And by paying attention to reality, I mean actually not just going in autopilot because that's what we do. We have our personalities that we create to kind of interact and get through the day. And those but those moments of genuineness when you're not playing into that via meditation or whatever, you can just spend it really examining your surroundings and just really getting into them because if you do that just every day just a little bit it's going to make it a lot easier when you go to sleep to pay attention to your reality and go lucid that that's so interesting because the way you described it earlier it was like as though there's just a moment in your dream where you're kind of like I know this is a dream and I feel like I've had those and I felt like they kind of just started since I had started college but I just thought it was the age that I'm at that I've had so many dreams that my body has been to a point that like girl, this is a dream, like, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> um, <laughs> but when when I think about it, like, that actually probably started around the time I started taking photography classes and got really engaged in noticing everything around me, doing multimedia journalism, photos and videos and things. And that, that's kind of a neat parallel there. Have you noticed, like, when you pick up certain other hobbies or anything that it's more prevalent? It's, it's so sporadic, but I would definitely say that that would make a lot of sense so so uh, next time that happens i need to like 
chase it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And then go eat some Oreos and Mary Colin Farrell. Yes. Yeah. I, it'll take a while to get to that stage. I don't want to give you like false hopes. It took me a long time to be able to like do some of these things. Eat a whole bag of Oreos. <laughs> At my wedding. <laughs> that's scary that that's the only Oreo thing I'm cake. taking away from this fascinating conversation is like, really? So I can eat like a whole thing of Oreos? Is that just your dream? I guess it is. Like goal, life goals, have, yeah. hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> well, and what's also really fun about lucid dreaming is typically right when you um, decide you want to do it, it's like the whole, I do believe in fairies. I do, I do, I do thing. The moment oh. you're like, I do believe in lucid dreaming. I do, I do. I've known people that just by sheer willpower and wanting to achieve it. So just by wanting to do it, I'm sure that down the road you will. Because it's just it's just making that mental effort. So just when you go to bed, Oreo cookies, Colin. Yeah. You know what'll happen? I'll I don't wake. need to start thinking about Colin Farrell before I go to bed. Let's be real. <laughs> what'll happen is I'll start thinking that, and about two o'clock in the morning, You'll I'll wake up and I'll be like, <laughs> exactly. I'll be down in, down in the kitchen, the pantry is like sneak eating, <laughs> sneaky. Oh no! Are you actually physically moving? So, for instance, when you were talking about putting your hand through a wall and bringing it back. Mm-hmm. Would your partner see you moving <laughs> no. your, your hand? This is all in your brain. What is cool when you're lucid, you can totally reach out to your body. You know it's there. Um, I sometimes will just do it just to be like, oh, there it is. But I'm in a completely different conscious state. My my brain person, whatever it is that's going on in my dream state, she's she's free to do whatever. She wiggles around. There was one time I actually did kind of sleepwalk a little bit. Aaron woke up to me um, actually banging on the wall saying, where is it? I know it's here somewhere. And he was like, Joe, what are you doing? And I'm like, it's right here. Don't you see it? And I woke up and I was really embarrassed. What was it you were looking for? No oh, idea. Me. <laughs> I really enjoyed talking about it. I mean, it's, it's something you don't get to talk about often. It's like, so last night I was having a really deep philosophical discussion with a person about whether she was real. You know, you can't typically go there with people. It's this like little private thing I do and I'm glad I got to share it and I hope that you guys can take away from it and go and lucid dream yourselves. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed your bedtime story. Be sure to tune in to 10 Talks next week for You Sleep When They Sleep, stories from caregivers, where we'll seek to highlight some of the challenges the people here in Knoxville living right around you face in caring for disabled, mentally ill, or elderly friends and family members. And remember, you can always find out more information on the 10 Words Project on our website, wuot.org or you can follow us on twitter at 10 words with two n's where every day you'll see another response to our what keeps you up at night question or you can follow us on instagram at 10 words where we send out photos of every 10 words form we receive the funny the somber the weird the bizarre the serious all of them and thanks a bunch to jen parker for coming on the show And a big thanks to everyone on the 10 Words team and all the good folks over at the University of Tennessee College of Social Work. The music for Bedtime Stories is by Todd Steed and the Sons of Fear, P-H-E-R-E. If you like it, you can hear a lot more of it on Bandcamp. Sleep tight, Knoxville. (laughs) 